When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your hosts, Joe Rowles. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I am Joe Rowles, and today I am joined by A.J. Schulte, one of our new writers here at Mile High Report, and a film guy that I am pretty excited to chat with. Um, for one thing... He is actually a Rams fan, so like he'll give us some special insight into this upcoming matchup, I hope. But also, he's been spending, basically since he joined Mile High Report, he's been spending an inordinate amount of time breaking down the Broncos. So he's kind of bringing an outsider's perspective to it in the fact that he is not tied to things quite the same way as I am, or as probably most of you are. So thanks for joining me, man. I'm really excited to chat with you. Yeah, this is this is exciting. This is my first kind of uh, show covering talking about the Broncos, so I'm excited. I think you know it's it's been a it's been a real blast covering this team and getting to learn a lot of the the personnel and the coaching staff and getting adjusted to the Denver beat and everything. So I'm excited. I think this will be a lot of fun. And so, of course, you you're coming on today after you know some. Maybe maybe some relevant news in Broncos country. Um, <laughs> the quarterback competition has finally come to an end. Uh, yeah. Teddy Bridgewater is officially the starting quarterback of the Denver Broncos for this year. Um, where do you kind of land on it? It's it, there, I, I was I've kind of been a little of two minds the whole way throughout of. It be if it's like if it's that really close between the two, then maybe Drew Locke has a little more upside and everything. But at the end of the day, like I just feel like Teddy Bridgewater has a lot of components and attributes to his game that Drew Locke just doesn't have. And I really think that was evidenced in that Seattle game. Uh, when especially when you saw a lot of plays where Teddy Bridgewater was just cool and calm in the pocket. Bodies are flying around him. I think that fourth down strike, especially where it, to Jerry Judy, I believe, where he just kind of calmly steps up in the pocket, fires at the crossing route over the middle. That's good stuff. And Drew just kind of unfortunately has never really developed under pressure, even going back to college at Missouri. He was kind of skittish under pressure, and that led to a lot of his turnover issues. So I think that that is probably what gave him the edge. And maybe it's not outright just the Seattle game that gave him the edge, but just the fact that what Teddy has, the accuracy, the natural accuracy, that even Noah Fant kind of hinted at it earlier on in the summer where he was like, Teddy throws a, I don't want to say a more accurate ball, but it comes a lot better <laughs> with touch. Um, it, that's just kind of things that Teddy has right now that Drew doesn't. And I feel like that is ultimately more appealing. He's already familiar with Pat Shermer. It just kind of seems like the right call right now. 
And I want to say one of the things you touched on that I think is worth kind of unpacking is the idea that it probably wasn't just the Seattle game. Um, because, and here's the thing for like us listening and you and me, we got to see 19 Teddy Bridgewater throws. If I, if my math's correct, we got to see 21 drew lock throws over the course of this preseason so far. Uh, obviously with camp being a little bit more than that. Uh, I yeah. assume that Vic Fangio and Pat Shermer and the coaching staff probably considered practices. And I mean, I know Fangio has basically said that the joint practices against Minnesota were a part of the evaluation for Minnesota week. So like that, that in and of itself should be kind of a hint that it, it wasn't just the two games. I know a lot of fans are kind yeah. of stuck on, well, Drew Locke won Minnesota and Teddy Bridgewater won Seattle. So why is this over? I don't think that's all of it. No. And, and, and to your, and again, back to your point, I think what Bridgewater did in the pocket against Seattle is a microcosm of what he was probably doing in practice consistently in that. And again, this is something I mentioned over the summer leading up to this when the Broncos acquired Bridgewater and I started going over his Carolina tape is he does a good job managing the pocket. And again, not exceptional. He's not Tom Brady, not, not quite as good as Tom Brady. I know Pangio said that, but but he's definitely a noticeable upgrade in that regard over what we saw from last year's Drew Locke. And the one thing we did not really get to see from Drew Locke, except for a couple bad plays in the Seattle game um, where the protection failed him, we didn't really get to see Drew Locke under pressure in Minnesota. And obviously in the come the regular season, and I have a lot of faith in this offensive line, but even with that faith, like at some point quarterback is going to be under pressure. So having a quarterback who is able to manage the minute movements that you have to do to stay, stay in the pocket, keep your eyes downfield, but keep yourself alive. Bridgewater showed that in a way that I don't know if Drew Locke did. Yeah. And and I think when you kind of playing off of, of that a little bit is you want, when you look at Denver, especially late in the season, when, when they're playing, you know, they've got Kansas City back to, or not back to back, but pretty close at the end of the season. I think it's like week 14 and week 18. Yep. Uh, I believe. And then they've got to play, you know, the Chargers and Washington and Philadelphia and Cleveland. Like that's your midpoint on having guys like Teddy Bridgewater who can manage the pocket is so, so critical, especially when you're playing. A lot of defenses, and you know, especially with Steve Spagnolo in Kansas City, he is all sorts of demented with his blitzes. I mean, he's sending zero blitzes in the preseason. Right? You're like, what are you doing, Spags? You know, that's just kind of his personality, and that kind of emphasis on the that kind of quarterback, and especially in the offense that they're hopefully wanting to run having that ability to stay cool is just so critical. And if that's what they're seeing in practice, because they're lining up against a lot of really talented pass rushers in camp, I think that probably is what sold him more so than, oh, yeah, he made a few good plays against Seattle. Because if that was the case, then they would look at the case for Minnesota and be like, oh, Drew Locke had those two explosive throws. Yep. Okay, that'll give him the edge. I don't think that's quite what happened. And one of the other parts to this, and again, I'm glad you mentioned it. I know a lot of people in the lock camp. And again, I say this as somebody who 
I have gone into this entire process pretty convinced that the Broncos 2022 quarterback is not on the roster anyway. So whether it was Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater. So again, like a lot of people have accused me over the course of this as being a Teddy Bridgewater guy because I did think he was going to be the better player. So, and and again, this isn't to say I'm right, anything like that. Because again, like I think I agree with you in that if they were close, and I said this last week when I on cover two, if they were that close, I can see the argument for Drew Locke based on the idea that over the course of the season leading up to the playoffs, if he's getting better, you might have a, a quarterback who's improving at the right time. And that that could be valuable. Obviously, if the Broncos assumed or believe that Bridgewater is the better, better choice, they don't necessarily believe that that's going to be the case. They believe, I, I would, again, I would assume, and I know Fangio said that he thinks that Drew Locke will go on to be a star in the league, but the deficiencies in Locke's game like there, there were hints of that in the Seattle game. Yeah. Um, and there, there's been hints of that in the, the little bits of clips I saw from the joint practice against Minnesota. We've heard enough from like people coming out of camp that I kind of, in, in one of those, everyone kind of overlooks that stuff with the idea that he can create explosive plays. And again, I don't disagree with that. I, I his arm talent is better than Teddy Bridgewater's. Mm-hmm. But there comes a point where you have to ask yourself, how much is that stronger arm worth? And yeah, and the thing with Bridgewater Precisely. is, and the thing with Bridgewater, and again, like I didn't see practices, so maybe Locke did make some huge jump here. But like from what I saw, I don't, I don't think it was a huge jump. If if he made a huge jump, he probably would have been the starter. Exactly, and that's, and that's the thing. And in the areas of Locke's game that I believe he was not as good as Bridgewater coming into this. So again, if I'm wrong going forward, I am. But going into this, I thought Locke wasn't as good at managing the pocket. His accuracy on uh, horizontal leading throws. So basically like digs, slants, crossers, anything like that. And those are Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler. That's their bread and butter. Yeah. Um, he wasn't as good at that. He doesn't have the same accuracy. His ball placement's not mm-hmm. as good. Um, and I would say that his, his mechanics did notably improve in the two games that we saw. Let's be real. His mechanics last year were a complete mess. So, like, I would be really right, concerned yeah. if they didn't if they didn't improve at all. Um, yeah. And the other thing is, like, yes, his decision making in the Minnesota game looked better, but he wasn't under any pressure. And we saw hints of the same issues with decision making in the Seattle game. Yeah, and with with the Minnesota game, his two two of his biggest throws were off of play action. Yes. Right, so he already had a, a clearly defined kind of where he was going, what he and they were running wide open. Yes, for pretty much that whole game. And then the other one was, I believe, a mesh concept to Jerry Judy. Yep. High high school quarterbacks have been running mesh for years now. Like I would be surprised if he couldn't read. <laughs> yeah, that that was my, and it still took a little bit of time to develop and him to get his third read there so that's that, that's kind of been my thing is it's yeah he may have more upside but there's also probably a more significant downside well that and i think like and again like i don't want to stick i don't want to beat up on lock and i feel like this is going right. to start to <laughs> right. come off as like well and, and i just like i'm not trying to but like i've said this before that we we tend to look at the word upside or at potential and a lot of people, it's vague enough that people kind of look at it and they assume that it's a given, similar to like in Madden. Like if you have an A-plus development in Madden, well, if you play enough games and you don't suck, you're probably going to become a 90 overall. Right. 
the reality of it is, and again, me and Joe Mahoney from Mile High Report looked at this in January, the odds of Drew Locke turning into anything more than a below-average quarterback was very small. Very small. Um, and again, like I know DNBR's Andrew Mason has talked about how it's like a 30% chance. I would say that was generous. I don't think it was that high mm-hmm. um, based on the numbers that I've dug into. Um, yeah. And yes, there are signs that he could still be go on to be good, but the things that like big time throw rate from PFF, that's not stable. I've talked to Seth Galina from PFF. I've talked to Tej Seth from PFF. It's not a stable metric. Like that's not mm-hmm. something that guys, if they're good one year, they're going to be good the next. The yeah. one, the one, or really the two things that really kind of gave him some sort of real hope is that off play action rollouts to the right, Julak was quite good. The problem is you can't do that all game, every game. All game. The second part was when Drew was not under pressure last year, throwing from a clean pocket, he was hovering around league average. So the idea was, well, if you can just protect him, maybe he can be league average. The problem is, and I know that Drew Locke worked with Peyton Manning, and I know that Drew Locke has talked about that the one area of his game that he thought he got a lot better at is his protections and his pre-snap stuff. And again, in the Minnesota game, there are hints that he was making notable strides there. And again, if he plays, I hope that he did. Mm-hmm. but he was abysmal at it last year. Like, let's again, let's be completely real. And I'm not, yeah. again, I'm not trying to hate him. I'm just being completely honest. Drew Locke was really, really bad at pre-snap last year. And so like, and post-snap, like, but like, yeah. basically, <laughs> but, but basically if he had to make a pre-snap decision where to go with the ball based on like what the coverage was, he was bad at it. Mm-hmm. If he had to actually read the field and make his way through progressions across the game, like he was bad or across the play, he was not great at it. He was, he tended to be pretty slow and he tended to yeah. linger on players. And then if he got under pressure, he didn't always know where his hots were. So like it would lead to him running around trying to find anybody. And mm-hmm. one of the things, and again, I, I just got the all 22 like an hour ago. So I have not had a chance to go over it yet. So guys, as you're listening to this, I will have probably had a chance to see it by then. But like, one of my concerns with the the pass to Seth Williams in the Seattle game, he's rolling out left, hits Seth Williams on like a really easy pass, and then Seth Williams runs and makes it look really great. Good on Seth right. Williams. But the thing is, it looked like Drew Locke had other options. And I want to go back and try and watch that because those are the kind of things where you see the highlight, you're really, really happy with the result. But it's not like I'm I care more about the process than the process result, over results, which is one exactly. of the reasons why there there tends to be a big separation between where I land on things sometimes and where a lot of people land on things, because I'm trying to look ahead. Like if Drew Locke is still panicking under pressure, yes, it may have worked against the Seattle Seahawks backups. It's probably not going to be a good thing to do against the Ravens. Baltimore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that that's it's so critical. And I think especially when you see. Everybody kind of wants to look at the big throws. Oh, he escaped in the pocket, and he made this big throw down the field. Like you said, it's not stable. I mean, it it bites even the best. I mean, we saw it bit Patrick Mahomes. As good as Patrick Mahomes is, he could not operate a a standard passing game. Now, granted, that was more on on the offensive line situation there in the Super Bowl, but you can't just have a guy roll out the whole time and make plays on the run and on the move and trying to go off script and on script. That's Teddy Bridgewater's game. He yep. is so good. And even when the play kind of breaks down, I, you know, when you go back to the saints tape with Teddy Bridgewater, I thought you know, he was pretty good when the play broke down. Granted 
the Saints offensive line is really, really good. So that helps. But at, at the end of the day, he just there's a lot more savviness in that area that Drew Locke just you know, you you kind of have a debate on the leash with young quarterbacks. How long do you let them grow? But with the way that this roster is right now, they really can't afford another season of hoping Drew Locke grows. And that's just the reality of it. Especially, I know people have been kind of saying, well, this is just Fangio's move to save his job. But if it helps the team win games, then does it matter? You know, of course, of course it should. Well, and that's, and, and again, I'm glad you said it because there's a lot to unpack with this. One of the other parts of this game, and again, like this is a, a notable complaint about Teddy Bridgewater, and on some level I get it, but I think Twitter and like hot take radio becomes like the death of nuance. Mm-hmm. It just becomes like it, it becomes each player becomes the narrative we say about him because we just repeat it so many times that they they get put into a box. So the idea with Bridgewater is he's just checked down Charlie, and here's the thing. Yes, yeah, 66.9% of Teddy Bridgewater's attempts last year were considered short or behind the line by PFF charting. But here's the part of it that like you're not hearing enough about. 60% of Drew, Drew Locke's were. And the thing yeah. is, Teddy Bridgewater was actually good at short passes. Drew Locke was not. Drew Locke was one of the yeah. 10 worst quarterbacks at throwing short or behind the line of scrimmage. And basically across the map, except for medium like what uh pff considers medium teddy bridgewater was miles ahead of drew lock in terms of accuracy last year and efficiency and again those things matter when you look at the broncos receiving core and they have three players who thrive basically just get the ball in their hands and let them create yards after the catch jerry judy kj hamler noah fan are all probably going to be better off having teddy bridgewater than drew lock yeah especially you know, uh, you you brought up PFF charting. I have uh, SIS Data Hub, and going through that, they have 240 throws of Teddy Bridgewater as just short. Yep. Drew Locks was 216, yep. so 24 throws differently. And Drew Lock really enough and, for you know? Well, and Drew Lock and Drew Lock played in 13 games. Yeah, but when you look at what I, what I find notable is the catchable percentage yep. between the two. Teddy Bridgewater at a seventy-eight percent, which was higher than like Dak, Tom Brady, uh, Justin Herbert, Lamar, Matt Ryan, some pretty accurate quarterbacks. In there at seventy-eight percent, Drew Locke's catchable, according to them, was just a little above seventy. And that for guys who thrive on yak like Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler, having a catchable ball is so so critical. And when you, especially with a lot of the yak opportunities being on time and in rhythm, and that's just and even with guy like Cortland Sutton who's really good at those kind of jump balls coming down with contested catches, it's got to be on target. <laughs> that, that's that's kind of been that's really notable if, if with Sutton's measurables. Just kind of get it in the air around him, and he's going to come down with it. And that's just not something Drew's ever really been comfortable with. No, I, you know the whole like completion percentage over expectation. His CPOE has a little bit of analytics, but there's just a massive gap there too. So I, I at the end of the day, it just makes a lot of sense, and it's really it's got to be a little more comfortable going in 
knowing what you'll get with Teddy than well, Drew Locke. Well, it feels and, like there's more hope with Drew Locke than substance right now. And and it and so the thing is, um, and again, I've seen this argument, so I just want to talk about it a little bit. But like the idea yeah, being that like Teddy Bridgewater is safe, and like it's said like it's a bad thing. Um, and part of it is people hear safe and they assume it just means he doesn't turn the ball over. And that's not necessarily true. Like Teddy, Teddy's going to take chances. Mm-hmm. The big, the big difference and this is where he's safe is that Teddy Bridgewater tends to be pretty close to the same guy every day, good, bad, otherwise, but like you can count on what you're going to get from Teddy Bridgewater. Whereas yeah. you again, go back to last year when Julak was the starter you have games where he completes 45% of his passes against the Raiders. And then you'll have a game where he's not under any sort of pressure because the Carolina Panthers don't have a pass rush and he's going to look like an all-star. But the thing is, if you, if you put Bridgewater in that same situation with the same weapons that Bronco that Denver has, he can probably do something similar, but he'll probably be closer to passable against the Raiders. Again, maybe not quite the same highs, but if you have enough help around him, the quarterback's not going to lose you games and that, that, exactly. and again, with this defense and this running game, that might be good enough. And the next yeah. part of that is yes, upside. We're looking, you know, long-term blah, 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 mm-hmm. that thing. Again, when you look at how small the chance that Drew Locke's going to figure this out is how much is that worth basically wasting Von Miller, Cortland Sutton, uh, Kareem Jackson, because here's the thing. Von Miller, Melvin Gordon, Bryce Callahan, Kyle Fuller, Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, Alexander Johnson, Josie Jewell, and Kareem Jackson all have contracts that expire this year. So, and again, some of them will probably be back. Like, I could see the Broncos keeping Cortland Sutton, obviously. Yeah. But not Um, all of them. Von, Von, if he returns to form, he should obviously be back. Yeah. If if he's still Von, then yeah. But to my my point, though, but it's it's no guarantee. It's win now. And it is. And that's, and that's what I think we're getting kind of caught in is, well, the Broncos don't have a quarterback. So right now they're not in win now mode, but the thing is they have a defense built to go chase a super bowl. If the offense is, is good enough. And again, Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not promising it's good. I think it will be good. Like better than I think we've seen in a while because the Broncos haven't had a good quarterback in a while, but, Mm -hmm. but I think this defense is that good. And I think it's going to be that good if health luck shines on them and it'd be and it'd be a complete shame to waste it hoping that given another 16 17 starts drew lock can put it together so and again this is one of those situations where i think you have to trust what the coaching staff saw if they thought that they were close enough but that bridgewater is clearly the better player it makes sense to go with them yeah at the end of the day that that's what matters is we don't get to see all the camps we don't see all the – when you look at the staff, there's a lot of really talented coaches and a lot of coaches who have been around for a while, a lot of bright minds. And they're saying everything. They get all the tape. They get all the, you know, kind of locker room presence. They get to decide all that. That we don't get to see outside. And sometimes, yes, you know, they're not perfect, but – but, the familiarity and the things that they see in practice that we don't get to see has to have played a huge factor into this. Because if you look, it's just the preseason. Oh yeah. Even Steven, apparently it maybe wasn't. Yep. And so, and then kind of like one other part to this 
just that I've been kind of chewing on. And again, I have to like put some more thought into it really. But mm. one of the other parts that I think that when we look at like looking ahead, like this idea that, well, Teddy Bridgewater is just one and done. It's very possible. Obviously his contracts up after the year right now, the Broncos aren't even paying him most of his contract. The Carolina Panthers yeah. are, which again, yeah. good on, good on George Payton. That was, that was a smart move. Um, but the thing is, Teddy Bridgewater, and I said this before they traded for him, he's like the kind of guy you want being a mentor to a younger quarterback because he is such a, first of all, like all reports I've ever read about him. And again, this is going back to 2014 has been that he's like an A plus character type of guy. Like he's a locker room guy. Like that helps your, helps the whole team. Second part is like, and we've heard about this throughout the competition that he was trying to help Locke get better. You want mm-hmm. that kind of guy. And then on top of that, he's had the experiences that should be helpful to a young quarterback coming in in that he's been a starter. He's been a backup who's been pushed to being a starter. He's been like basically out of the league because of the knee injury at one point. He's been a QB. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's been kind of, he's done it all. Exactly. Yeah. He's done it all. He's only 28. So like barring the leg doesn't fall off. Like there's, I don't think he's suddenly going to hit Ooh. a wall, hit a wall and fall off a cliff. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it could make sense to keep him next year as a bridge quarterback for a rookie or as an option in a competition with somebody else. Yeah, especially if – yeah, I'm, I'm kind of playing this two-part. The Yeah. I feel real, I feel kind of old because I scouted Teddy coming out of so did I. college. And so we're sitting here saying, oh, he's this really established vet. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I scouted him out of college. No, but he was he was my quarterback one in that draft for a lot of the similar and that was the draft that had Johnny Manziel and, and Blake Bortles and obviously Teddy has done better than you know Derek Carr would probably be the only one yeah that I would consider you know but Teddy has all those same attributes that he did in college are still on display and like I feel like people would kind of have a little more respect on Teddy's name if. He didn't have that freak knee injury, but that was like a career threatening, horrifying injury. And and, and one of the go ahead, go sorry, ahead, go, go ahead. No, I, well, I was go. I was just gonna say the knee injury though. It, it, I'm glad you mentioned it, just because Bridgewater's had a really weird career in part because of it. Yeah. Um, because yes, he's been in the league for a long time. He came in the league before the Broncos won a Super Bowl with Peyton Manning. But because of his knee injury, he essentially didn't play for two years. Yeah. And then after that, because of the knee injury, he lost his job. And then he ended up Mm -hmm. kind of floating around and he chose. And again, the Miami Dolphins at one point did offer him a contract that would have made him the starter for Miami. But he chose to return to the Saints because he thought that that was a better opportunity for him long term. Yeah. Um, and then he chose to sign with the Carolina Panthers and let's be real. And again, I'm not trying to make excuses. I've said this for a long time. If Carolina had not signed Teddy Bridgewater last year, they would have probably ended up with either Trevor Lawrence or Zach Wilson this year. Yeah. That roster was awful. They were. Yeah. And, and that, that's, what's important to keep in mind with Teddy is that, that the offensive line in Carolina was not even in the same realm as the one he'll have in Denver. And especially when you, like we were talking earlier, when you have a guy who has a better offensive line, but is already really good at managing the pocket and controlling the pocket, 
Yeah, it just unlocks a new realm of your offense, I think, because you don't have to worry about a guy just frantically going around trying to, oh, God, just lock. Just, I'm not, I, I said lock, but I didn't mean Drew Lock. I mean, he locks into targets is what I mean with panicking quarterbacks. Yeah. But you have guys who just almost lose it under pressure, and that dismantles a really good offensive line. You yep. see all the time, sacks almost half the time are created by the quarterback. And But when you have a quarterback who can avoid that, that just boosts your offensive line's performance even more. And that's that's so important with Teddy. And that's something that I think he's developed over time and something he definitely learned in New Orleans. Well, go, going, going back a little bit to your original point, we've kind of strayed. For the bridge quarterback... This 2022 draft class of quarterbacks right now is kind of just looking like Spencer Rattler out of Oklahoma. And then yeah, it's kind of wide open from there. You've got Sam Howell out of North Carolina. I like Matt Corral out of Ole Miss, but he's far from perfect. Uh, it's Carson Strong out of Nevada. The draft network recently mocked him to Denver. Yeah, like You've got a lot of quarterbacks who aren't fully finished products right now and if you can go in and say hey we have teddy here to help bring this guy further along i think that's just so much more important than oh yeah here's drew here's drew lock again here you go like well and one of the things that really made this like one of the things that really made me start to think about keeping teddy around long term as a as a again like an alex smith type essentially was I want to say, and again, I don't remember the exact day because I like the quote, the keeping up with all the quotes and all the camp reports start to kind of bleed together in your brain. I want to say it was the day or two before Seattle. Um, at one point, they asked Teddy about Drew Locke, and Drew and Teddy said that Drew Locke is like a sponge. And again, that's great. Like I'm, I'm glad that Drew Locke is doing all he can to learn from Teddy Bridgewater, but that to me points to the fact that Teddy Bridgewater, and again, we kind of assume this, that Teddy Bridgewater has more to offer Drew Locke than Drew Locke has to offer Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah. And that, to me, again, kind of points to what Teddy Bridgewater could offer as a veteran mentor to a rookie quarterback that you think could be a franchise quarterback down the road. Yeah, with all the adversity Teddy's dealt with and all these situations where it's like every year, Teddy almost has to go in with, oh, they could... Pull the guy, you know, I could be replaced at the end of the season. They could pull the guy for the next guy. I mean, he's had that for, it it just feels like a long time, especially in Minnesota, when at one point it was him, Sam Bradford, and Case Keenum. I think, I believe it was, yeah, this was before they got Kirk Cousins even. So it's kind of like you had that three-horse race going on there in New Orleans. It was like, I'll always be compared to Drew Brees when he's out. Those kind of moments have just kind of added to Teddy's character and they've built up this profile that, especially if you're a, kind of a hotshot quarterback, you kind of, or say like Sam Howell, for example, he's kind of walked in and never really had a bad moment at North Carolina, right? He's never really, you know, like Spencer Rattler was benched. He was outright benched in the Texas game. And you saw from there how he grew from there. But Sam Howell has kind of just stepped in and never had that. So I feel like a mentor of Teddy Bridgewater, for example, would be a boon 
to help not just in his development as a quarterback, but also as a leader and somebody in that locker room. Agreed. And that's, again, like a lot of people, and again, if, if people are still listening, if you are just a diehard lock fan, all this is probably just making you do like the Arthur meme where you're like balling your fists. <laughs> but the thing is, and again, like I went into this whole thing last week thinking if Drew Locke is looking pretty much the same, like I'm fine with him starting. But yeah, but I've but I've understood like for a while now that the fact that Drew the, the fact that Teddy Bridgewater has shown to be more accurate to me has always been really appealing, even if he is completing shorter passes, just because I know that this Broncos offense is built to get the ball in the hands of the playmakers. Like more bites of the pie are probably gonna lead to more big plays than chucking it mm-hmm. twenty yards farther and hitting on half of those. Like yeah. it's just again, it, it turns into a the short passing game is an extension of the running game in a lot of ways. And it's like, dude, get the ball in their hands as much as you can. And Shermer, if you go back to Shermer's time with the giants, they did a lot of that. And so yeah, it just, it right seemed to, yeah, it just seemed to make a lot of sense to me. So, it, and again, the other part of this is if you are a diehard Drew Locke fan, both Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater have been hurt before. Like Teddy Bridgewater got hurt last year. I want to say in the second TB game, the Tampa Bay game, and he said that he thought about shutting it down. He probably should have shut it down. And if you look at his splits for the numbers, it actually shows like he definitely got hurt. Um, and then obviously he had the leg injury in 2015. And then mm-hmm. Drew Locke basically in his entire NFL career has not played a 16 game season yet. He ended up getting, he got hurt in the Pittsburgh game last year. He missed three games or missed the Pittsburgh game and the two more games. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Broncos like by week that the NFL gave to them. So he missed three weeks. And then his rookie season, he got hurt in the preseason, ended up on IR, and then he played the last five games. So, like, neither one of these guys is a picture of perfect health. Like, these aren't Brett, this isn't Brett Favre. Um, and I'm not yeah. rooting for an injury to either one of them, but, um, and, and again, I've kind of like pushed this out there too. Like, the Broncos could definitely look to trade Drew Locke. I don't know if they would get anything like worth trading him for, but I could see why they would want to do that just because of like questions about the locker room and the fact that the media is going to be crazy about benching uh, Bridgewater at every turn for Locke. And and that could be a really toxic environment for a team trying to chase the playoffs. But on the other side of the coin, if you think that the locker room can handle it with the, with the health questions kind of hanging over both of them, it makes sense to have both of them. Yeah. I mean, and as, as much as we are, you know, draft Twitter, darling, Brett Rippon, you know, you can't expect him to, I mean, Brett Rippon has been, not exactly great, no. but you can't expect, especially if you're trying to go for the playoffs, you can't expect him to fill in that gap that's no. left behind that, that void. I am, uh, a, I'm a diehard big leader. on the trading lock. No. I, don't, I, I know that, I know that scenario popped up, but kind of like you said, I don't know what they like, unless they would get like a first round pick, which they wouldn't. I mean, granted, St. Bradford went for a first-round pick, but that was more desperation, I think, than anything. But like, I, I, that there's just no scenario which I think they get enough that you would consider trading Drew. If this year's playoffs are bust for Fangio and company, it doesn't make a lot of sense to trade away Drew Locke. It doesn't make a lot of sense to trade away Tim Patrick. It doesn't make a lot of sense to or trade Bryce, Bryce Callahan, Callahan unless you're yeah. getting a big return for any of them. And then, and yeah. then even then it's mostly Peyton getting the return at the, at the expense of the coaching staff because the roster would be getting weaker and, or 
more susceptible to an injury. Yeah. And to he, your like, point, I believe in Brett Rippon, but I believe in Brett Rippon as a QB three and like yeah. a spot starter. Like if he has to come in to finish a game because like something went horrible, I think he could do that to an okay level if the rest of the team is not garbage. But yeah. if you're starting him for anything more than that, you're kind of you're asking for trouble because his arm yeah. talent is not good. Yeah, I mean, and if and if they start off, I mean, you know, luckily for Denver, they start off with a, a decently light schedule for the first three games. But if if the worst were to come happen before the trade deadline, and like it's kind of clear that this team isn't going anywhere, I could see them offloading. Tim Patrick and Bryce Callahan and guys like that. But if they're fully gunning for the playoffs, like if they start three and O, which they very well could against the Giants, I think it's the Giants, Jaguars, and Jets. It, it like that this team should not be trading away. Especially and if they're competitive in the games like against Baltimore, for example. And I, I think they could outright beat the Steelers and the Raiders Same. as well. So like if they're coming in you know, four and two, five and one at that point of the season, there's just, there's no scenario where that should happen. I think as much as people like, Oh, give me all the draft picks. Give me all the draft picks. That's not kind of realistic for team pushing for the playoff. Exactly. So that's kind of where I'm landing on the quarterback competition right now, though, is like, I I think, I think they made again, based on what I know, I think they made the right choice. Um, but I also think like keeping lock around in case things go to hell, like makes sense. Um, I do worry again. I worry about how the media is going to cover it just because we know that that there are parts of the Broncos media. That's not like good faith coverage at all. It's basically just stirring up drama just for engagement. And I think that that's going to be a thing basically at every corner. Like I think Teddy Bridgewater farts and it's gonna be like, Oh, bench him. He's bad. Bench him. Yeah. He's going to throw, he's going to throw one interception. They're gonna lose their minds. Yep. Like that, that's when I don't people. I don't want people listening to think that I'm coming across as like last week or no, excuse me, right after the Minnesota game, I went live on Twitter Spaces with George Stoya, and I told him that I was like, "Yeah, I think Drew Lock is going to be the starter," and then sure enough, here we are, a week and a half later, and it's Teddy. So like that that and that was where I was at. I was like, yeah, Drew's going to be the starter. If he sucks, then we'll see Teddy. That was kind of the mindset going in. But now it's like, okay, I kind of see why Teddy is a starter. It makes sense. It's a little comfortable pick. Yep. And so, kind of from here, the other thing I like about this is the fact that they made the decision today means that we will not probably see an extended like an extended preseason game action for like most of the Broncos starters on offense. And I like that because I just started working through like what I see this Broncos final roster looking like. They don't have a lot of open positions left period, but they definitely don't have a lot left on offense. Um, Definitely the big things on offense. And again, like I want to hear your thoughts, but like kind of based on where I'm at with it, the, the big decisions kind of ahead of them are, are we going to keep a ninth offensive lineman? If so, who is it? Um, and to me, like Cameron Fleming is the big question because he hasn't played well, but it costs a million dollars to cut him. So like, that's a big question. I think they have to decide what are you doing with Andrew Beck versus Adam Prentice? The fact that Teddy Bridgewater is the starter to me probably points to Beck just because you're probably not going to run as much fullback type stuff as we saw against Minnesota. 
Um, and Adam Prentice doesn't offer tight end versatility, and he's not quite the same value on special teams as Beck is. Um, I do think mm-hmm. Prentice has shown more as a fullback, but I just don't know if it's that valuable to a Shermer offense. Yeah, it, it, that that to me, there's a lot of interesting kind of battles going on on offense. It, Brett, you know, Brett Jones is on IR, I yep. believe now. So the backup center is, I guess, now going to be Quinn Miners. I guess he's going to move back Yep, to it's either, center. It's either Quinn Miners or Graham Glasgow sliding. Yeah, so yeah. It, and then Miners stepping up into that right guard spot. But that to me is I, that that was why I was really confused on why they cut Patrick Morris early. Yeah, because Patrick Morris was like already familiar with Munchak. He played center and guard. He was a pretty good athlete, and that's that was kind of why I was like, oh well, I wonder if they might bring him back as an additional lineman. But when I look at Fleming, yeah, like you brought him up. I would almost take that million dollars and just cut him because he's just been last year with the Giants was awful, and this preseason not looks much better. Yeah. I just he's he's an established vet and that's good. I just I don't think he's worth passing up on some depth elsewhere for. And that's the question I think. Like that is probably outside of the depth wide receiver battle. I think that is probably yeah, the biggest question the facing the offense. Um, and I think the biggest value that Fleming could offer is the fact that he could potentially play either tackle spot and maybe play inside, but I don't. That's what they have Anderson for. No, I, and I don't think he's good enough compared to Anderson that you want to do that unless you don't have another option. Um, and the problem, like, and again, with eight offensive linemen, there's no reason not to carry nine. Um, as of now, the Broncos look like they have three offensive tackles and then the interior looks like it's pretty set. Um, and that's the thing mm-hmm. that's probably, I know they're carrying Austin Schlotman and they're carrying uh, Drew Himmelman. Uh, but those are like, Drew Himmelman, for, he looks like he's at least a year away. I think he's going to end up on the practice squad. He was the highest paid yeah. undrafted free agent. Um, so like I expect him to kind of be a developmental guy. Um, and then Austin Schlotman, the problem Schlotman's going to have is that he plays center guard, but like, Unless unless they want to try and carry the starting three, Muti, Miners, and Schlotman, it creates a numbers problem. Because um, yeah. then they're carrying six interior offensive linemen. And I don't know if they're going to do that. He might be a guy that they try and keep as a veteran on the practice squad. But I think it's, it's going to either be Fleming or they're going to try and go find a tackle. And the problem if they're going to go find a tackle is then they're eating a million dollars to go then pay somebody else to come be that fourth-string offensive tackle. So yeah, and I wonder how that's going to work out. The offensive tackle market is just going to be pretty dry. Yeah, like, as it always the, is. The, the, yeah, the Bears. The Bears learned that when they had to go force sign Jason Peters. Yep. Because <laughs> they drafted a guy with back problems that were well known before the draft. And they tried to play Elijah Wilkinson, who yeah, Broncos fans was... are very familiar with. <laughs> like, I, like I think right now, I'm trying to think of any available tackles um no 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 one no one that i would prefer over fleming and that's and again i'm not saying fleming's good but it's just like because you have to you have to make the whole i'm paying a million dollars and then hopefully getting an upgrade on him and i just don't think a guy unless there's a surprise cut out there who wants to be a backup in denver so like it creates a situation where do you want to have nine offensive linemen just in case and is is fleming worth being that guy 
Yeah, I know there'll probably be a lot of people say, oh, what about maybe Andre Dillard? But I don't think Andre Dillard is a scheme fit, and I wouldn't give up capital to go trade for a tackle, a backup, because he would just be a backup tackle. He's a backup tackle with a significant injury history, and he hasn't shown a lot yet. Yeah, and and that's that's the problem, I think, with that, especially in Denver, because there's a lot more gap. And Andre Dillard is just kind of not a gap tackle. <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. So that that's kind of my concern. I, I just, I I would still, I would, I would just cut Fleming up principle. But that, that that's more me because I just, I watch the tape and I'm going, man, I, there's just, he's there's just, just no way. Yeah. If he's starting, it's going to be pretty ugly. Um, yeah. It, it would be worse than uh, Bowles of old, like before Bowles got better. That, yeah. That's for sure. Um, the other one though, and again, like, I want to hear your thoughts on this because this is probably the most interesting one for fans is, so, I mean, there's the big four receivers again, unless Tim Patrick's cut or not cut, but unless he's traded. Um, but after that, like, it looks like Deontay Spencer's going to make it just because he's kind of like comic, he's Tom McMahon's binky. Yeah. Like they're, they're going to use him as a returner, but that means that they're either going to carry one other receiver or they're going to carry two and. I could I could see the argument for carrying two, um, but I want to know like, have you noticed any of the receivers and kind of where you land on it? Yeah, I mean, I, what I found interesting was how many times we kept bringing up Trinity Benson's name, it was like, whether it was in the return game, even on offense for a few snaps, especially in camp. There was a lot of positive reports about Trinity Benson as well in, in the offensive snaps and rotation. And kind of like, well, that's that raises some eyebrows a little bit. It, it kind of seems like to me, he's a name that I, I heard a lot more of him than Tyree Cleveland. Yeah, a lot more. And that was Tyree Cleveland's biggest thing was when he was fighting Dante Spencer. When I started doing these roster cuts and evaluating the roster, I was like, oh, it's him versus Spencer for that wide receiver, that last spot. And Cleveland is a little more involved on offense. Well, now we have Trinity Benson involved on offense and the return game and putting out pretty positive results. So you just add his name into the ring. Seth Williams, I think, is a really good receiver. Uh, I liked him coming out of college. They have draft capital on him. And that's important in these kind of battles as well. Oh, definitely. They're invested. that, that, That to me is a good sign of this Broncos roster because you have so many talented guys to get through. I mean, even Kendall Hinton was very involved in the offense. I uh, was very surprised by how much he was used against the Seahawks. Yeah. Uh, that, that to me just kind of speaks on, uh, Zach. I'm going to butcher his last name as, as Yeah. The wide receivers coach that speaks to his ability in my mind because they're just, they're so deep at that receiver spot now, all of a sudden, out of nowhere. I mean, granted, it's preseason, but these guys are making a lot of great plays on the field, and that's translatable to you know, for making this roster. And so it's tough. I mean, because even, even like the, the last year guys of Javantre Duke, um, I believe DeMarty Personnel, I believe he's still. Yeah they haven't waved him yet like that's even those guys have been making a lot of plays in camp you know i, I remember rating quite a few connections with Locke and dukes 
in camp for I, a couple touchdowns and some big plays. I was really surprised that they got rid of him because I thought that he – Okay, yeah. they did get rid of him. Okay. Well and, well, and to your point, though, like I was surprised when they kept Mac over Dukes because, again, like and we're not seeing practice. But based right. on the reports and based on what I had seen, Dukes was the better player. And, and, and okay. again, like knowing that he hasn't gotten picked up, or I don't think he's gotten picked up, he's one of those guys that may make sense to pick up as a practice squad guy after. Because I yeah. think that he, again, like Colin Sutton is no guarantee with his knee. And Tim Patrick is probably here for a year because he's an RFA. And after this year, he's going to go probably get paid by somebody. You don't have an X receiver if Cortland Sutton doesn't get back to being Cortland Sutton. And again, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but smart teams plan for in case. And Duke, Dukes is what six four? Yeah, he's, I think six he's three, a, six four. He's a giant, he's huge. Yeah, like that's that's notable. The the kind of measurables and filling in voids. You know, I, I wish that a lot more teams broke down the depth chart into like X receiver. Here are those three guys. Z, here's those three guys. I wish they would do that because I feel like that would clear up the picture more yeah. than just, oh, here's here's 12 guys at receiver. Have fun. Uh, but Denver, it's so tough. I would, uh, would kind of give the edge to Seth Williams and fighting between Benson and Spencer. I would probably go with Benson. Just, I mean, Spencer has just kind of never moved the needle for me. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing for me is like, I've looked at the number for there. There's a, I, I feel like I've been up on DeAndre Spencer every single week during this preseason. I don't like guys who only return generally like on a principal thing, just because I think when you only have 53 roster spots, a returner is not so valuable that you should designate a spot for him unless he's just insanely good at his job. And yes, Deontay Spencer was above average as a punt returner last year, but he didn't offer a whole lot as a kick returner last year. And yes, the year before he was an okay kick return. But the thing about kick returns is teams rarely do it now. Like, and again, in Denver, you're going to get a lot more touchbacks anyway. So like for Denver, a kick returner is not as valuable as an actual receiver who can play. And I don't think Deontay Spencer is going to offer enough to the offense. So I just, I don't, I have trouble with it. I understand why McMahon's going to probably make a huge push for it. Because again, McMahon's, McMahon's probably coaching to stay as a a special teams coordinator at this point. Because he hasn't impressed. No, their special teams has been really bad. I mean, even, even Fangio was ripping it earlier today. Uh, I just like, the kickoff coverage was horrible. (laughs) Rightfully so. It was, it was the beauty of Fangio is he's just going to say it. Yeah, but yeah, that it's such a tough. That's why I was kind of like leaning early on was Tyree Cleveland in that battle because Cleveland was a great athlete and was involved in the offense a lot more from what I was hearing mm-hmm. over the summer than Spencer was. So mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, it's, it's Tyree Cleveland, and I was kind of like, oh, you're not really heard Tyree Cleveland's name a lot. No. And the only things I really have heard from him early in camp was bad was based on drops. And then he got hurt. Mm-hmm. And then like the, the, the clips I have seen from the Vikings game, he, he, he has not improved enough at getting gaining separation in his routes, which is a big concern yeah. just because like, that was like the thing that showed up to me when I was watching his Oakland or his, his Raider game last year was yes. He, he's an athletic freak and he has like long speed, but he's, he's mm-hmm. one of those guys. He's a bit high cut. 
And so when he has to change directions, it shows up in the fact that he's tall. And that, that isn't something that looks like it's really improved. And so then he has to make his way as a special teamer, but you can't really carry him and Deontay Spencer if that's all they're really doing is contributing to special teams. I guess you could, but like ideally you did enough with the other parts of your roster that you don't have to carry two receivers just because of what they do to special teams. Not to say that your sixth receiver shouldn't play it, but he should, if, if your fifth receiver, if your six, if one of your receivers is only really a special teams contributor, the other depth receiver should probably give you more to the offense. And that's one exactly. of the reasons why I really like the idea of Trinity Benson based on what I've seen. He looks like a vastly approved route runner from what we've already like known from him before. He's a good athlete. He looked like he had sure hands in the Vikings game. Um, and then Kendall Hinton, again, he's played slot. He's played on the boundary. I don't necessarily think he's as good a route runner as Benson is. He's played quarterback. He's played quarterback. <laughs> um, but, he's a, but he's a very willing blocker. And that's one of those things. Like mm-hmm. if, if that guy is coming into the game, you're trying not to throw him the ball unless it just happens. You're like, you're not planning to throw it to Kendall Hinton. So if that guy's Mm -hmm. on the field, he needs to do enough to make himself valuable. Otherwise, and he blocks pretty well. And he's a guy that's going to run his routes. And again, I like the versatility because he also plays special teams. That was, that was why I was leaning a lot of Seth Williams because Seth Williams played, played special teams. He's a really good kind of contested catch receiver. He blocked well. From what I remember on his college tape, I thought he blocked well. Um, I could be. No, no I, I remember. Sure. I, re- I remember it yeah. too. He's a he's a bully um, ball like, receiver, and that that aspect yeah. of his game shows up in like all phases. And, and that he's a strong have, guy. Yeah, and when you have that kind of guy who adds into the offense with the way he does, I mean, a lot of people had Seth Williams graded higher than he went drafted. I, there were a lot of mocks I had him in the third, like end of the third, fourth round, kind of fifth round. And Denver got him a lot later than that. Uh, so I think when you have all of this talent at receiver, it makes it tough. But just with like everything you're saying, they have to add value onto offense. I feel like Seth Williams does that a lot. You know, and, and he played and he's had experience in special teams. Yep. And that's and again, that's what makes this that's what makes to me the Deontay Spencer idea probably like one of the things to watch because if you get if if you rationalize cutting spencer you suddenly have two spots and then the third one is probably a practice squad spot if somebody slips through and makes it um yeah. but otherwise you're gonna have to probably lose set one of the three of seth williams trinity benson kendall hinton maybe two of them um because i don't think i don't think trinity benson's gonna make it through waivers and again i could be wrong this could be just you know me being a homer but like I thought he showed enough against the Vikings that I think he's probably going to get poached by somebody. There's enough teams that need receiver help that he could be appealing as a as a flyer guy. Seth Williams has the pedigree, which somebody might have him graded quite high and take a chance on him. And yeah. and so like Kendall Hinton, if you're going to do a practice squad, it seems like the safest bet to do it. Um, mm-hmm. But I, again, like I like all three of them. I kind of hope all three of them somehow find a way to stick around. Uh. Looking at the defense, and again, I don't, I don't want to keep you all day, so I apologize because I tend to talk long. Oh no, like, um, this, is, this is great. This is just phenomenal. So, but defense is kind of similar though to the offense in that, like, I think by and large, guys have started to kind of like make fill their niche. Um, I yeah. think there's a question about what's going to happen in the safety in the DB room. Um, I think five safeties or four safeties is going to be a big deal just because I think PJ Locke has played well enough, has the special teams experience where he's going to get posted if he gets waived. Um, Absolutely. And I think he's helped play Jamar Johnson, but Jamar Johnson was a fifth round pick by George Payton. 
So that's the question exactly. there. Um, Caden Stearns, I think, is as safe as can be. Like, he's played as well as you can. You've heard everything out of camp. Like, there's no – I don't see him getting cut. Um, and then in the cornerback room, Michael Ojemudia's injury kind of creates some question about what's going to happen at corner because Ojemudia has played well enough, and he has the draft pedigree where he, it never looked like he was going to get cut anyway. Um, yeah. But now I think, like, he's played okay. You hold on to him, maybe. And again, like even and the thing is, even if he goes on IR, the way IR works in today's NFL is you have to hold that guy off of IR until the first cuts. And then once the, you have the 53-man roster, you put him on injured reserve with the idea that he can return. If the Broncos yeah. put anybody on injured reserve right now, that guy's done. Like he's done for the year. So that's mm-hmm. like a little tidbit for list, those listening that may not know that. That's why Ojemudia and Boone have not been placed on IR yet. And that's also why they both are complicating the Broncos roster decisions. Yeah, and that to me with, with Ojemudia going down, that that room just gets so because you obviously you've got your kind of your starting four, right? And what was originally going to be a tough battle for you know, is for five and really for six. Now it's like five and six, and so yep. you've kind of got, oh, here's Parnell Motley back again. You've got, I know the staff liked saying Bassie. Bassie? Bassie? I'm not quite sure how to Bassie. pronounce his last It's name. Bassie. Bassie. Um, this, they liked him a lot. Uh, you've got Rogesterman Ferris, I think. No, they waved him, didn't they? Yeah, they waved him. But Duke waved, Dawson... Waved, uh, but I'm Duke looking Dawson, at the depth chart, and they've not updated the depth chart on the team website, so that's good. why. <laughs> um, but Duke Dawson, Essang Bassey, the fact that they're both on PUP makes it tough just because like, we yeah. have, like they haven't practiced yet, and yeah. we have no idea when they're going to return or if they're going to return this year. Yeah. Um, and then you look at the rest of that cornerback room, and you have Parnell Motley, who... When I talked to George Stoya last two weeks ago... Again, my time is starting to all blur together... When I talked to George Stoya, though, he basically made it out to sound like Parnell Motley is still getting burned like he was early in camp. We just stopped hearing about it. So, like, yeah. that to me is, like, that's a concern. He looked okay that, in the that, preseason. That, that was that was always the problem with, with Parnell Motley was when he could, could when he could stay controlled and, and win at the line of scrimmage, that's where he was really good. And that physicality showed up. But if he lost that, if he was out of phase for just, for just a second, and they could the receiver could stack him. It was over. Yep. Just yeah. That, and that that's that kind of athleticism shows up. But like you saw, he didn't look half bad in game last year. Yep. And so that you just kind of further complicates it. Is a lot of camp is is kind of not really good. But when you saw in games, it was sort of good enough for you know five or six corner spot. Well, and I like Nate Hairston. I know Nate Hairston's kind of been like a guy we don't really hear about. The question I have with Harrison, how he fits, is that he's been playing nickel. Um, and yes, that would help because Ojemudi has played nickel, but Ojemudi is also like a boundary corner. Like he's played a lot of boundary. So the fact that they lost him in particular kind of hurts that because it means like, and again, maybe, maybe you just kind of risk it because the top four all can play boundary if they have to. Um, but do you trust Harrison playing outside? And we haven't seen it. Um, he's played special teams. He's played nickel. And again, I thought he played pretty good in both preseason games. And when I talked to Stoya, Stoya mentioned that he, he looked okay in camp. Like he's a quiet guy. And the thing is, Kerry Vincent, we've heard again, we know the upside. We know he has the draft pedigree, 
But even like Fangio and Fangio was asked about Kerry Vincent, he basically said like, you notice him for good and bad. And that's not something you want to hear about with a corner because that means exactly. he's getting, he's getting roasted. Um, and then also he's making plays and it's like, that's not ideal. Um, so he's a guy yeah. that like, I assume unless he has a crazy game against the Rams, I assume they're going to try and slip him through waivers. I, I wonder if that guy is currently on the roster. I do too. Oh, I do too. I, I, I wonder if they might just kind of see who kind of goes through the cuts at the end of it, put Ojemudia on IR and kind of sign somebody who gets released some, but somewhere else. I, I, I wonder because you've got a and lot of question marks and a lot of young guys that can go on practice squad. And, and this isn't unprecedented. Cause we, and again, like it's a different GM. Like you got to remember, cause like this was Elway versus Peyton, but Back in 2019, the Broncos got to the end of camp and they were down to like 40. I want to say they're down to like 48 players. Um, they cut everybody down and then they just added a bunch of outside players. They traded for Duke Dawson. Uh, they picked up uh, Devonta Harris off of waivers. Like, so like, don't rule it out, especially because like if the Vikings make cuts, Peyton probably knows that roster backwards. I could see him plucking yeah. players off of that. Um, he's already tried to do so. Yeah, that that to me is something invaluable with the with the way that this pro scouting aspect is with Peyton coming from a team that has had a lot of success developing guys, it, and a lot of people kind of don't realize how good Peyton's staff was in Minnesota and a lot of the talent that he's identified over the years, and having the it, it sucks because you don't necessarily have that kind of connection with. Somebody who's coming in from another team, but if you don't have that guy currently on roster, you're kind of like, well, maybe we kind of keep him, but we can't really, you know, like you're saying with Nate Harrison, can't really put him outside. You know, Parnell Motley, we can't really trust him to be that guy. So I think at the end of the day, that's just going to be invaluable to have the intimate knowledge. And the, the Vikings are going to have to be cutting down on DBs because they've got so many so if they're gonna poach from there that makes a lot of sense yeah and so like the one other spot and again i say this is i feel fairly confident that the linebacker room is basically set the fact that they cut josh watson to me was kind of a sign they knew that they were going to carry four if baron browning looks good enough and curtis robinson mm -hmm. is probably going to end up landing on the practice squad if he looks okay against the rams um the one wild card is Barrington Wade, but I don't think Barrington Wade has looked good enough to this point to really push beyond any of those guys. Um, yeah, and then I'm you not, look at I've not hardly noticed him. No, and when I've noticed him, it's not great stuff. Um, and then the D line looks set with Shelby Harris, Draymond Jones, McTelvin Najim, Shamar Steven, Mike Purcell, and uh, Deshaun Williams. Deshaun Williams, yeah. Yep. Um, and again, like I have very little question about any of those six based on what I've seen so far in the, the two games. And then the edge room, basically, right now, it looks like Jonathan Cooper's uh, to take. Like, there's not really a lot of drama there, in part yeah. because and Andre Mintz got hurt, and he's in concussion protocol. I thought Mintz was the – him and Cooper were the two competing. I think Tuska's, like, a clear third choice at this point. Um, yeah. Not And, again, not trying to down, you know, down on the guy, but it just, like, it looked like Cooper has run away with that job. Um, so, like, again, the defense looks fairly set, except for DBs. And then on offense, you have basically the one decision with the offensive line, uh, maybe the running back battle, maybe tight end, maybe. Again, both of those look like I have like pretty pretty set. Um, and then receiver. Yeah. 
So it's like receiver, offensive line, and DB are really the only big questions for the Ram game, other than health luck. Like, God help us, you know, everybody stays healthy. Yeah. Uh, but the, the Rams kind of go into this with a similar mindset of like, they go out of their way to stay healthy. They don't play anybody. <laughs> yeah, for, for better or worse, right? They, mm-hmm. it, It's probably my biggest issue with Sean McVay. I mean, I understand it. It's It's rational to hold a lot of your key starters out. I get it. But every single starter really bugs me, especially this year when they should be breaking in Brian Allen as the center. I mean, he's already played center, and he's kind of been a career center his whole life. But he's missed a lot of time with injury. And then the entire summer, he wasn't the starting center. Yeah. Austin Corbett was the starting center. And then right after the Dallas joint practices, they moved Corbett back to right guard and Brian Allen to center. So you're like, he should be playing. He should be getting those reps in, working back in. And they're just like, nope. So, okay, well. That's the problem is you don't see, with with the lack of preseason, you don't see guys kind of battling. So, like, if you have a key roster battle, like with Denver, for example, they're fighting for the right tackle spot of Mm -hmm. Bobby Massey versus Calvin Anderson. Without the preseason, we would have no idea. We couldn't properly evaluate those guys. And the Rams are like, well, eh, we don't need that. We're, We're fine. We're fine. No, you're not. <laughs> it's it's so tough. Like you, you kind of asked me, what what can we kind of glean from the Rams? And like, who, like if we see anybody who matters, I hope that they kind of let Sony Michelle get some run. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, just just to kind of see how he gels in with a lot of the calls. But other than that. Really not. You're going to get a whole game of Bryce Perkins. He's going to play the whole game at quarterback, which is unsurprising. He'll he's a little bit more dynamic than any of the other quarterbacks that Denver has has faced. Probably a little more similar to what they got out of Kellen Mond, but in the sense that he's a good, he's equally as good running as he is throwing to an extent. Mm-hmm. When the Rams issue and why i think denver has a really it's preseason so it doesn't matter but has a good shot at winning is the rams have not been able to connect in the vertical passing game with with either quarterback mm-hmm. it's, it's been a problem all preseason even with tutu atwell and they've not really been able to connect deep and so if the broncos defensive back room as deep as it is they're going to sit there and just kind of play up and kind of force you to do that. And I don't think Bryce Perkins can, but it'll challenge the linebackers. And I think it'll be a good sign for Baron Browning to kind of come in and get a quarterback who is dynamic, like Bryce Perkins, because he's got to line up and, you know, they're going to play Lamar Jackson mm-hmm. later this year. And Bryce Perkins isn't Lamar, but it's the closest thing you have. It's essentially like getting the scout team quarterback. Gives you taste. Of it. Exactly. And that's where I think the most valuable thing you'll glean from this preseason game is now the defense gets a test of that kind of quarterback. Mm-hmm. You're not you're not really going to see anything crazy. I mean, you'll see Jacob Harris probably play a lot. Uh, Kendall Blanton as the other tight end. But the Broncos have been lined up against Albert Okoigbunam. They see those kind of athletic freaks before. 
they're used to it. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to get any significant wide receiver starter corner. You're going to see a lot of nickel and dime. The, the, the Rams, I mean, like you look at the snap counts of the last few games and the Rams DBs have just been Bronte Harris, I think played almost 90% of the snaps last game. That, oh, wow. That's crazy amount for a preseason game. But they like him, and he's kind of the opposite. He's kind of the corner fighting for a roster spot right now. Um, you're you're not going to see anything too too crazy or flashy. There's a reason you're not hearing much out of these Rams preseason games because mm-hmm. they're boring. They're boring to watch and to break down because it's so it's pretty vanilla. I mean, it's a lot of core concepts, but it's pretty bland for the most part because you just don't have any starters. You yeah, don't have a single one playing. Well, I mean, knowing knowing that, I guess, like, really, and again, I, it's kind of been my MO, you know, the whole preseason, but really, really hammer this is that, like, the Broncos have to make it out of this game healthy. Yeah. So. And that, like, with, you know, like, you, you kind of asked me, how does this help them prepare for a game against the Jets, the Jets later? Yeah. And I, I, I actually think you'll see an offense a little more similar to the Rams than you will uh, the 49ers with with the Jets later on. You know, LaFleur did come from San Fran, but that tree is kind of all-encompassing. They all have a lot of the same similarities. But Sean McVay is a lot more 11 personnel. Yep. A lot more heavy wide receiver looks. A lot of single back looks which is not something that uh kyle shanahan runs a lot of 11 personnel they were one of the lowest yep last year and even they had with george and, even with george kittle out and they, they have still and they have been for a few years yeah. now and so and now with with the jets they're gonna have to be 11 personnel because the strength of that room is the receiving room that tight end is it's like it's chris herndon and then and even chris herndon isn't super hasn't really been much so far he's one of those oh you hope he breaks out this year and he's not quite yet so you're going to see a lot of i think more similarities to what you see in green bay and what you see with the rams than you will with shanahan with even though lafleur comes directly from that shanahan tree and so that is kind of important with this group right now because you, you saw a little bit of a taste with it last week against Seattle because Shane Waldron came from Sean McVay. Yeah. He's coming, he came from that tree as well. And so, now, but now you get the progenitor of this offense. You get the creator, the mastermind, and it's not going to be super crazy or anything like that. But I think ultimately at the end of the day, the fact that if they put up, put up two good games against this defense, or against, you know, they, they did it against Seattle's offense and against this Rams offense, I think that is going to be key moving forward because you get a lot of evaluation. You get to kind of see how you're, what you're calling is matching up against an offense that's becoming just more and more common throughout the NFL. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bread and butter type scheme you're going to see everywhere. Yeah, um, it... Last question for you before I let you go. Because... Do you think this Broncos team, now that we know Teddy Bridgewater is the quarterback, do you think this Broncos team can push for the playoffs? Oh, yeah. 
Absolutely. And, and, and part of that is because I think this roster is really talented. And the other part is they play a really manageable schedule. Yeah. Right. Like, like the beauty with having Teddy as your starter is there's a lot more games where you might not run the risk of losing it. You like if, if they're kind of challenged, I think they can at the very worst split the series against the chargers. Um, I don't think they would lose both games against the Chargers. I think right now they match up pretty well against the Char- against that team. And then they've got a lot of manageable games they can win. The Raiders, they've got the Bengals, the Lions, Philly. Like they're to start off, they should go three and zero. If they don't start three and zero, that's a problem. Well, I just, yeah, I mean, they're, I, I feel pretty good knowing that they're catching both Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence in the beginning of their careers um, yeah. rather than like game 16, game 17, where these guys have then seen quite a bit. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I think they have to start hot. They need like at least two and one probably out of the first three games because um, then they get Baltimore. And Baltimore's like a real test. And I know everybody thinks that the NFL has figured out J- Lamar Jackson, but I doubt it. Yeah. No, um, no. <laughs> and, and Wink Martindale's legit. So, oh my yeah, Wink is crazy. Yeah. So, but I do too. Uh, I'm, and again, that's one of those things that like everybody's kind of getting stuck on this whole idea of like, and this is probably, I think, a good place to end. A lot of people in Broncos country are really distraught because it seems like the Broncos gave up on Drew Locke when they passed on Justin Fields and Mac Jones to give Drew mm-hmm. Locke a chance. Personally, knowing what I know, I knew that George Payton was not going to take Justin Fields. They didn't; he didn't believe in him, um, right, wrong, or otherwise. And again, I disagree with it because I think Justin Fields is going to be very good. Yeah. Um, but Payton didn't believe in him. Um, I had heard a week okay. before the draft that they weren't going to take him. They would take Lance if Lance had fallen, but obviously he didn't. Hmm. Um, so I think like that decision was going to happen regardless. And granted, again, I disagree with it. Uh, but I don't think yeah. Drew Locke necessarily makes that decision. It looks worse um, because you basically didn't do a whole lot to solve quarterback long term. But that said, in the in the immediate term, trading a six round pick for Teddy Bridgewater was masterstroke. It was brilliant, and I think Carolina is going to look really stupid for giving him away um, because I think Darnold's not going to play as well as Bridgewater does. Yeah, like they they basically lit a, lit a second round pick on fire yeah. by trading for Gronk. And yeah, I. I kind of have my own theories medically about why they didn't take Justin Fields. Um, I I wonder if, I don't even know if I should say this in public. I wonder if the epilepsy and the altitude of Denver stadium, I wonder if that plays a part because I know there's been a lot of research into like air pressure and, and everything affecting seizures and epilepsy. So I wonder if that, but like if they didn't, if that was the reason why, then you think they would have said so. They would say, that's a medical reason. Mm-hmm. That's why we didn't pass. I'm not this kind of vague, oh, well, we just didn't like him. And that was it. Yeah. Well, and the good news is, and again, I again, I know for Broncos fans, like hearing this is like all pretty doom and gloom because again, like Drew Locke is not starting. Justin Fields isn't walking through the door and you and I have already just discussed like the 2022 quarterback class does not look great. Um, so like there doesn't necessarily look like an easy out from where George Payne has kind of steered the ship. But the good news is the Broncos have a franchise corner in Patrick Sertan. Yeah. And the good news is they have a really good team. So. Yeah. And they have a really good team. 
obviously. Uh, yeah, if is. you miss, if you miss my joke, uh, guys, but yeah. Um, <laughs> again, thanks for joining me, uh, guys. If you do not follow AJ on Twitter, go do it. Um, he is at AJ draft scout. You will get really, really good breakdowns of offensive lines, uh, defensive lines. AJ does a lot of draft stuff. He does a lot of Broncos stuff. He also gives you insight into the NFL as a whole. Um, go follow him. I'm breaking down. I'm doing a mock draft right now. So stay tuned for that. <laughs> so, 